Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time that you have appointed for Wendover Hills to come and worship you with all of our might, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our heart. Lord, we love you so much. And no matter what week we've had this past week or past couple weeks, maybe it's been a difficult time. May we praise you in the storm. Maybe it's been a, a mountaintop experience. May we praise you there as well. May we praise you at all times, Lord. May our lips continue to praise your name because of who you are, because of what you've done for us, so that we may be as alive as ever, that we would be Christians that don't just sit on the sidelines, but we're involved in the game. We're involved in what you are doing. We just want to be in the center of your will, personally and as a church, Lord. May we surrender all we have to you this morning. I pray that you prepare our hearts to hear your message. May you speak and may I hide behind you, Lord Jesus. These people need to hear from you and not from me. We love you, Father. You are everything to us. May we breathe you in today. May we take you in. And may we live out your commands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Are you happy to see me? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Look at that. Well, I tell you what, that is something special right there. Uh, this past week, I had the opportunity as a graduation gift um, for my master's. My parents had uh, bought me a, a, a three-day retreat at uh, the Billy Graham Retreat Center in Asheville, North Carolina, called The Cove. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful place surrounded by mountains and, and beautiful trees, and it was, the leaves were changing and everything else. And I decided to go uh, this week, and so... Uh, from Monday or from Tuesday till Thursday, I was in Asheville, North Carolina, and during that uh, they they had um, a, a seminar. Um, they have a speaker every day, and the speaker for that week, which I chose because I, I look up to him, is uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who, if you don't know who he is, he's the pastor of of Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. Um, you can probably hear him on the radio quite a bit. But um, he's one that I looked up to, and it, it, you know he's 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 kind of getting up there in age, and so the the majority majority of the crowd was either twice my age or three times my age. I was the only one in my 20s um, that was there, but I had a blast. Met wonderful people. Was uh, just uh, was able to be relaxed that week and everything else. But uh, during the the retreat, I was hoping at least at at one point to 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 meet and talk to uh, Dr. Lutzer, and. And they had an opportunity midway through the week. I said, uh, for all the pastors that are here, and I'm like, surely there's not a lot of pastors here. Um, if you sign up after this next session, you can have lunch with Dr. Erwin Lutzer the next, uh, the next 
uh, day. And so I was like, great, you know, I was really excited about that because I wanted to just kind of glean insight from a pastor that's been the same pastor of, of Moody Church for 30 years and has an, uh, just an incredible amount of, of uh, godly wisdom and knowledge. And, and so I went to sign up and say, well, it's already, it's already full. I'm like, really? I was like, I can't believe it. I was kind of bummed out. And um, the next morning, get this, the next morning, because I had prayed about it. I'm like, God, you know, it's not a big deal or anything, but, but just, you know, I thought it would be really cool if I could just talk to a pastor that's been in the ministry for that long. I've only been in the ministry a couple of years, and it'd be great to glean insight from someone like that. Well, the next morning, we were having breakfast. We are going through the breakfast line, this, just an awesome, amazing-looking um, banquet-type setup here. Um, and... And so as I'm through the line, Dr. Erwin Luther comes with his wife on the other side and goes, hey, <laughs> he looks at me and goes, hey, you're that young guy that sits in the front all the time, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he goes, good for you, good for you. And we started getting into some conversation and things like that. It was like, asked me what I did, I told him I'm a pastor of a church in, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. He goes, that's, that's fantastic. And he said, uh, well, why weren't you at the pastor's table uh, yesterday? I was like, well, I tried to sign up, but uh, it was already full. Well, we just had a little bit more small talk. I went to sit down at, at uh, one of the tables there. And next thing you know, he comes up behind me and says, Hey, Brandon, why don't you come sit and have breakfast with me this morning? And so for the next hour, I got to spend uh, time with Dr. Erwin Lutzer and his family and uh, the mus- musicians and things like that. And so I just got to glean inside for that. And it was just an incredible time. Someone you really look up to and things like that. But what I noticed is, you know, even with talking with Dr. Lutzer and everything, um, he, he's human. I mean, he didn't have a, a halo over his head when we were sitting there eating. You know, the food didn't just pop off of his fork and just come slowly to his mouth. I mean, it was, he, was, he was human, you know? He's a human, flawed individual, just like I am, just like you are. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about Nehemiah chapter 5, as we're going to go into here in a moment, and thinking about the church. And I was like, how is it that we as a church who are made up of flawed people. We are human. We are not perfect. There is only one perfect human being who is God at the same time. It was Jesus Christ. How is it that we as flawed human beings can come together as a church and be unified and be one in heart and mind? I'm like, you know, the way the early church was described in, in Acts chapter 4 as being one in heart and mind, like, how does that happen? I mean... We carry in our baggage into um, our gatherings time and time again. We are flawed. How do we come together? And, um, and so I started thinking about that this week. And, and, you know, the past three weeks we've been in the book of Nehemiah. We've uh, uh, talked about several things already that relate to our upcoming vision. It's all of the book of Nehemiah, is, is, as we're preaching through this and teaching through this, is is, is meant to prepare us for the new vision at Windover Hills, which will be um, revealed in structure um, here in the next couple weeks as we'll talk about what it will look like here at this church. And it's going to be a total different um, atmosphere than it's ever been before at Windover Hills, and it's going to be exciting. But this series is to help us prepare for that and to own this church once again, to, to be willing to be the church once again and not just go to church. So the past uh, uh, three weeks, we've gone through the book of Nehemiah, and um, um, this week we're going to hit on chapter 5 next week, chapter 6, and then the week after that, we're going to hit chapter 7 through 13. 
I'm not going to read all the way through it, but we'll, we'll hit on it, all right? And it'll be awesome. But the thing is this, um, we need to get back to this idea of being flawed human beings because as we're striving for holiness, striving to be, to be pure in, in, in thought and in, in behavior and speech, we still have a tendency from time to time to walk in the flesh instead of the spirit. And on Sundays, and on Sundays especially, we can become some of the best actors in this world. I mean, give us an award. Like, take us to the award ceremony because the church today, Universal, can be some of the best actors on Sunday morning. Why? Because we hide things so well. We hide things so well. You know, our 32nd president of the United States, who was, anyone know? Okay, no one knows, great. Uh, <laughs> Franklin D. Roosevelt, okay, FDR, remember him? Um, and notably one of the best, known as one of the, uh, our greatest presidents of all time. You know, he came in during the Great Depression and helped the people regain the hope once again. And remember when he said in his inaugural speech, he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But there is one thing he feared, though, and that was his appearance. Because in August 1921, when he was vacationing with his family, um, he picked up a, he contracted an illness, which was believed to be polio at the time, resulted in total and permanent paralysis from the waist down. And for the rest of his life, he denied that he had been permanently paralyzed. And during the 12 years in his office, Roosevelt was able to convince many people that he was getting better. Um, matter of fact, uh, you would see there's only a very few photos of him in a wheelchair because anytime he was out in public, he had strapped these, these leg braces that were like 10 pounds each. He would swivel his hips and he would have someone on his side constantly to lean on so that he would not appear weak in the public's eye. And he would have a cane with him at all times. It was actually noted that this would happen anytime that he was to speak where they would have a podium they'd actually have to bolt the podium into the ground because he would grip and lean on it with all of his might as he was giving his speech. Isn't that incredible? He would hide it for so many years. Um, eventually he did come out and tell everyone, but the thing is he hid it. And, and, and we, we asked the question, why would FDR want to hide that kind of illness from everyone? And better yet, why do you and I as the church hide our imperfections so well? Why don't we allow people into our lives? Why don't we tell everyone what we're going through in our struggles? I'll just share a little bit about me this morning. You know, I walked in my office, never believe this, <laughs> walked in my office this morning, and I found a dead bird laying beside my door, okay? And I thought, oh, what a great start to the day. So I thought I'd share that with you this morning, Okay. And I thought it was a prank at first. No prank. Uh, the bird did a, did a number two on my desk and then died. So it was real. I saw that. Okay. I just want to share that with you because we need to have authentic and open environment where we share these things with one another. Hey, it was a struggle in the beginning. And, and after that happened, I, I received some calls from some people and uh, that we're going to be leading this morning that, that couldn't lead due to illnesses, due to everything else. I'm like, man, Lord, what is happening today, you know? Uh, but it's all good because that just means we've got to have total dependence on our God. 
But the thing is, it's like, why do we, why do we hide so much of our, of our stuff? Um, and we don't have a whole lot of time on earth, and we need to build each other up as the body of Christ and build momentum for his kingdom. And uh, if you would, turn with me in, to Nehemiah chapter 5, because you'll soon discover, as it gives us hope, because all throughout the Bible we see struggling individuals and those that had messed up royally and they needed to depend on God and they needed to be um, back on track and things like that. We'll soon discover that, that though they were building the wall and gaining momentum, there were things that were going on behind the walls that weren't so pretty and it was pretty messy. So if you would, turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, after um, we, we talked about in, in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, remember that the Israelites had, had been disobeying God to the point where God's like, oh, I'll just leave you on your own because you're going to go in your own way anyway. So he leaves them to himself, and they end up um, um, being handed over to their enemies and struggling and being exiled from their, their nation and being um, dominated by another nation. And we see that the walls were broken down. They dis dis demolished the walls of Jerusalem which provided protection and which were a sign of strength and things like that. And um, years later, um, Nehemiah asked his people, how things are going? And, and they re responded that the walls had been broken down and that they were just a mess. And Nehemiah started to develop a burden and a vision from God to be able to rebuild the walls once again, to bring the people back to obedience to God and so we see that in chapters 1 and 2. And then chapter 3, we see everyone's pumped up about it, and we see a, the list of names, just a list of names of people that were working side by side with one another, um, engaged in the work of the wall. They owned it once again. They were going to become the people of God once again. And then in chapter 4, we see Sambala and Tobiah, which are a bunch of losers, right? And they, what they were doing, they were just jealous leaders of other nations that were trying to disrupt and discourage uh, the people of God as they were working on these walls. And Nehemiah was the catalyst of encouragement we talked about last week and um, that his people needed. And they went back to the work on the wall and uh, built great momentum towards completion. Now, everything looked great on the outside. There was, there was a lot of things happening. But on the inside, there was turmoil. And that's what we're going to look at here in chapter 5 because um, although everything can look great on the outside, as we all know, and even in our own lives, um, things can be going on inside that, that people may not even know about. And, and don't we know how easy it is, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your organization, in your business, that any time there are internal problems, inward fighting, it can just destroy it quicker than anything else. Everything on the outside can look all pretty and dandy, but inside, what is happening and so we see behind the walls what happens to the people, um, the Israelites. In the first five verses, we see four problems quickly arise, okay? It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers, their own people. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to, to eat and, and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our, uh, as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject, get this, our sons and daughters to slavery. 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So we see four problems quickly arise. One is that there is a, a, food, a food shortage um, because of the famine in the land, and, and others had to get grain, and how they were going to get this grain and this food, that some had to mortgage their fields, their vineyards, and their homes. Others had to borrow money from their Jewish brothers who were, pay, who were charging them interest so that they could pay property taxes to King Artaxerxes. And then um, some, it got so bad that, that some who had to pay, repay their creditors had to sell their children to slavery in order not to starve to death. He said, well, that's kind of harsh, but you got to understand their children would have starved to death as well. But at least as, as slaves, as servants, they would have been able to be um, at least well-fed. And so all this is taking place, and Nehemiah is like, what in the world is going on? This is ridiculous. We're turning our backs on one another. And um, uh, the root cause of all this was definitely selfishness. It was an attitude of what's in it for me. Because the rich who were in there that could afford this stuff were taking advantage of the poor in this land. And so um, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Um, sometimes I think we lose focus and, and, and we forget uh, why we are doing what we're doing and, and what the purpose is as a church or in our families or in our organizations. And we, and we, we start to get out of alignment. You ever have a vehicle where it starts to get out of alignment, the wheel's turning this way, but the, the car's going this way, and you start to drift to... A, a, it, it, it just almost um, uh, reminds me of just, of just of how far off we can, we can get sometimes. But the thing is, um, um, in his book, Visioneering, Andy Stanley describes uh, things that happen when people um, abandon the vision, abandon the vision that they once had in their life, and what, what takes place amongst the people. And so alignment problems can look like this. Uh, they will attempt to control rather than serve. This is what was happening in, in, in this book. They will manipulate people and circumstances to further their own agendas. They will exhibit an unwillingness to resolve their differences face-to-face. Right? So they, re, they re, resort to gossip. They exhibit an, an unwillingness to believe the best about other teammates. And they view other teammates' uh, failures as their own personal successes. These things can happen, and when they happen, we start to get off course on what we're truly all about and with the vision that God has given us. And so Nehemiah is fed up with it, and we see this in verse 6 of chapter 5. He says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. Now that's a good lesson we can learn right there. Because when there is something going on that just, just revs you up the wrong way and just knowing that uh, there, was a, there was morally things were going wrong and, and people were playing the power trip game and everything else, things were going just haywire and he got really mad about this. He said he pondered them in his mind. He didn't just go quickly and speak, right? Um, before James 1.19 came into play, um, he was already obedient to this. James 1.19 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a great verse. <laughs> it's something I'm still trying to learn in my life as well. But the thing is this, is like, is like he, he took his time to think about what's going on there. He was still angry, but before he responded, he was thinking about it, and normally he, he was always praying about the situation. And he says this, I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. 
So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, confronting the issue head on, and said, as far as possible, we, need, we, have, we have brought back, bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. I mean, it like, doesn't, doesn't make any sense here. I mean, we, he's saying we just bought, as, as, as our nation, we bought back those who'd been um, slaves um, in, in, in exile, and we're bringing them back, and now you guys are selling slaves to one another. It doesn't make sense. We're, we're turning our backs on one another. And so they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. It says, so I continued, what, are, what you are doing is not right, and this is great, and we, we need to listen up to this. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also leading, are lending the people money and grain, but the, let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of your money, the grain, the new wine, and oil. It says we, they said, they responded like this, I love this, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now, even though they said that, we know talk is cheap, so Nehemiah goes on and he says, Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out, the, out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may, they be, so may such a man be shaken out and emptied. And at this, the whole assembly said, Amen. They praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. He shook out um, um, the, the, the folds of his robe. That was a strong statement in that, in that day. Uh, we see that um, even Paul did that in um, Acts chapter 18, verse 6. And it was also kind of like the shaking off the dust off of your feet in Matthew 10, 14. It was a strong statement. Because basically what he was saying was going back to verse 9 is, is, is what are you doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? I mean, the question is, what's at stake here? He's, he's asking him. What is at stake here? The stake is your, your, uh, God's reputation, right? The message to be spread. We are the, 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 uh, the nation who is to set the example for the rest of the nations of how to live in holiness and to live as, um, as, as people who are obedient to God, to set the example for everyone else. And they decided that they had one to go their own way. And it's the same for us today. What's at stake? Every time you walk out that door and the way you react and act in situations, what's at stake? It's the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Every time. Every time that we behave in a certain way, anytime we speak a certain word, anytime we engage in a conversation, what's at stake is the message, the good news of Jesus Christ and being a light, being salt once again. So what we can learn from this is, is, that, is that as we see Nehemiah confronted this situation, the people were, were understanding that they were, they were off course. They, they needed to be um, aligned once again to the purposes of God. And so they did it, and they, and they said in verse 13 that the people did as they had promised, right? They said, we'll, we'll do this once again. We'll get back in alignment. And I think what we can learn from that is that in the work of God, we need to be workable servants. In the work of God, we need to be workable servants. We can't be, we can't be um, stale and cold to the purposes of God or else He can't use us. You know that when you're not in, um, in relationship with God, 
in a great relationship with God that we know that, that a lot of times we can feel like our hearts are getting cold once again. They're getting hardened. We're not, we're not uh, um, worrying about uh, getting up in the morning and spending time in His Word or spending time in prayer. Uh, we're not being effective to our neighbors who need to know Jesus Christ. We're not being involved in our church. We're not doing this and that and the other. It's because we don't have that strong relationship with Christ. But in the work of God, we need to be a workable servant. And so that's why I had you do this early on in the service to, to, to put together this masterpiece, all right, of, of, uh, of putty here. Wow, that is, that is something else. Look at that. Everyone put their own talent into this project here, their own artistic ability. And this is what we came up with. A beautiful mess, isn't it? It is a beautiful... I mean, there's some cool things in here. I see like a globe with a person um, with their hands around the globe. looks really cool. There's a heart, and there, um, there's some more hearts, and some flowers. Well, that was kind of a flower. And, and just, the, just all of this coming together, all of us putting all that we had into this coming together, and this is what we came up with. You remember the scripture that, that um, um, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8 says, it says, Yet, O you, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Are we workable servants? And so we came together and we put this together here. And this is what we came up with. But can you imagine what God can do in your life? Sometimes we feel like this, don't we? We look like this a lot of times. But God can do amazing work in your life. He can mold you. But I want to ask you these questions. When was the last time, ask yourself this question, when was the last time I allowed myself to be molded and shaped by God? When was the last time I surrendered everything to God and said, take my life and do what you want with it? When's the last time you did that? How flexible are you with others? How flexible are you with others? Or is it, is it just your way all the time? Or are you able to... To, um, to work together well with others? And are you a workable servant in the work of God? Because many times we can look like this, but the thing is God can do a masterful work in your life and He can make us and create us into the person that He has called us to be and the church He has called us to be, the, the family you were called to be, and the, um, whatever else, whatever part of organization you were part of to be. That we can be that together we are the clay in the hand of the potter. But are we workable? That's the question. Are we workable? So I want to give you um, five things here real quick of what workable servants do. These are what workable servants do, these things, okay? One thing is they create and sustain an atmosphere of unity. They create and sustain an atmosphere of unity because visions thrive in an atmosphere of unity. And we've got to understand that we've got to be willing to address problems when they arise, issues that they arise, instead of just um, holding them into ourselves or, or, or talking about it behind someone's back, but really being able to go one, one to one, go to one another. And I, I think that one of the, the the biggest things that can destroy a church more than anything is, is gossip in a church, and because we haven't really confronted the issues and addressed them one on one. But if we're able to go to that person, because I mean, as Christians, we should be able to go to one another, right? I mean, we should be able to be spiritually mature enough to just say, hey, you know, this is what happened. I felt offended when you said this. Was I off guard here? Let's talk about this. And you work together to be at peace with one another. 
Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. So we could create and sustain this atmosphere of unity. Also, um, workable servants keep the bigger picture in focus. I always think back to um, Bob Ross. Every time I think of painting, I think of Bob Ross, all right? I don't know if you're Bob Ross fans. The dude had the afro, and he was on TV when, when I was, like, younger, and back in the 80s. And, and, and I'd watch him as a child. Now, I can't paint worth anything. I mean, it would look like this, really. Um, now, I'm not dissing your guys' um, creation. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. It, anyway, uh, I always think of Bob Ross. And, you know, every time he would start on that canvas, and he'd start painting and stuff like that, he would just... Well, just a little touch of this, a little touch of that. You know, he, he, he'd get all these different colors and start, and start on this canvas. And, and it would be ridiculous if, if I would say, or anybody else would say, that is ugly. Look at that. I mean, you, what are you doing? You just mixed all these colors and you just started. That looks horrible. And then he may have been like, I just started. Give me some time here. Because what Bob Ross had in mind was like the bigger picture. Wait until the final product because it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a masterpiece. But once you start, and see, I think so many times we do this. We'll start in on, we, we minor on, or we, 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 we major on the minors too many times. We, we look at something and we say, well, shouldn't that be bigger? Shouldn't that be more beautiful? Shouldn't that be better than what it is? And we forget the bigger picture here. When things go a little bit wrong in the church, remember, we are flawed human beings. When some things go a little bit wrong in the church, don't worry, the church down the road is probably um, experiencing the same problems. Or, 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 down, or down five miles from now or, or 20 miles from now or in another state. Churches have flawed people. But if we keep the bigger picture in mind, then we know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are trying to bring other people into God's kingdom and sharing the good news. And remembering that one day we are going to inherit God's kingdom. We are going to be in heaven with him. We're going to live with him together, uh, together forever. It's going to be incredible. And we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. If we keep the bigger picture in mind, and the vision that God has given Wendover Hills, then we can truly become the church that he called us to be. But so many times, we start to see a little bit of color here, a little bit of color here, and say, that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense, but it will make sense one day. God takes us through certain things for certain reasons because he wants to get the most out of us as a people. So to keep the bigger picture in focus, workable servants also follow, follow their appointed leader. The story really could have turned out really bad. They could have said to Nehemiah, forget you, we're going to do our own thing. And if they would have done that, it would just create more chaos. But I love how they responded because they responded, we will do as you say because they believed that Nehemiah was really being led by God. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, also, but also to the interest um, of and each of you should... Oh, I'm sorry, I was looking at another verse there. <laughs> uh, obey this so the work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see how that all works out together? It's a, it's a team, it's a partnership, it's a marriage. And so they were able to follow their appointed leader. Now, don't follow leaders that, that um, are not 
following God because then you don't want to do that. Okay, that would be horrible. Um, and I know there are many people following leaders that claim to be godly and are not. But follow leaders who are the appointed leader that are following God. And then number four, they know when to lead and when to follow. Now we talked about we're all leaders in here, but there's times where we've got to follow as well, right? There's times when we've got to follow, there's times where we've got to lead. If everyone led at the same time, there would be a, a, um, a problem, <laughs> right? I always think about this too. You think about in Jesus' life when he was 12 years old and he was, he was sitting there listening to the teachers of, of the law and he was learning from them. What was he doing at that time? He didn't say, oh, wait, hey, I know I'm 12 years old. Hold on, but I'm God. Thank you. I'll be leading this small group today. Okay, no, he didn't say that. He sat there as a child and learned. Now, that's pretty incredible. Think about God himself in human flesh would be able to follow. But there's times when we follow, there's times when we lead. Know the difference. And then they trade in selfishness for humility. This is just the biggest thing right here. If we could really get to the point. Trade in selfishness for humility. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or, fit or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. When we live as Christ lived while he was on earth, with a humble attitude, a humble spirit, um, so much more work can be accomplished for the kingdom of God. So when we get our own agendas, when we get on our, and we start to drift into another lane here and start to get off the alignment and we start to do our own thing, then all of a sudden we become a mess once again. But if we are willing to be humble, if we're willing to, to learn from one another, if we're able to, to submit to one another, we're under, to submit under the authority of God, that we, would, that we would be a praying church, that we'd be covering this church in prayer every single day, and that we would just allow God to move this church into His vision, then we can really start to see some incredible things happen. And I believe those things are going to happen. And as we reveal those, uh, the structure of our church in, in a couple weeks, you're going to see how there's going to be so much opportunity for each one of you to use your God-given gifts and to be strengthened in relationships and for us to really accomplish that one more that we always talk about, awakening one more soul to experience life in Jesus Christ. So if you're willing, with me today, me included, that we would be people who would be able to be, be like the clay in the potter's hand and allow us to be workable servants in the work of God, if you're willing to do that today. Now, I'm going to ask the worship band to, to come up here at this time. And we don't want to uh, close the service uh, without giving you an opportunity. If, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, that you'd have the opportunity to do this today. Today is the greatest day. Tomorrow, there may not be a tomorrow. You never know. You never know. But if you're kind of feeling like this today, and again, I'm not knocking your creation, but if you feel like this today, and you feel like my life is just out of control, and I've been in direct disobedience to God. Maybe today is your day. Maybe you want to just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give you my all. Forgive me of my sins. I will follow you. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to place all my faith into you. If that's you today, feel free to 
come to this makeshift altar down here. We will pray with you. If you want to pray in your seat, you want us to pray with you. If you want to raise a hand and you want us to pray with you, we'll come and pray with you. Whatever it may look like, I just pray that you make that decision today to follow Christ all your life. All right?